Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome back to The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And John, as you know, we're here with Alvin Wolf again. Hi, Alvin. Hi, how are you? We've been chewing through your 40 lessons that you've learned in the practice of law and in a previous episode, we talked about one through 20. So now we're on 21. Spend money on good exhibits. This is no time to be cheap. Exhibits, one picture says a thousand words. Nothing conveys mechanism of injury or showing what happened to your client better than an exhibit, whether it's a static exhibit or it's a video exhibit. That exhibit may be the difference between winning and losing your case. I've spent $500 on an exhibit that adds $20,000 to a settlement that can educate an adjuster, it can educate a jury, and it can be the difference between winning and losing, and it can enhance the value of your case. So yeah, why why do you want to be cheap? Alvin, you make a really good point. You mentioned using the exhibit right away. I'm thinking trial, 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 using the exhibits for settlement. Exactly. Yeah. I'll give you an example when I was a mediator. Client was in an accident, a motorcycle wreck with a broken hip. I said to the lawyer for the plaintiff, bring in a picture of the x-ray to show the fracture. He didn't. The case settled for like 20,000 bucks on a $100,000 policy. And what I told the defense lawyer and adjuster was, you know, if I had this case, I'd be getting the whole hundred or more. You can get a program called Horos on your computer and you can download exhibits and you go to your experts and you have them look at the CAT scan and they tell you what slice they're going to use a trial and make a picture of it, print it out, send it. It shows the disc. It shows the perforation. They can show whatever you need to make your case. And it's simple. You just have to sit down and do it. And it doesn't really take more than five minutes. How do you spell that program? H-O-R-O-S. And best of all, it's free. Number 22 of your 40 lessons. If you don't know how to properly work your case, there's no harm in getting co-counsel. It's fun and you'll learn a lot. Nothing like working a case with someone else. First fall down case I had, had Ted Hoffman take the case for me. Great lawyer, died too young at 88 just showed me how it was done. It's a great way to learn. And when you're working with someone, you can share the load as well. Number 23, on a wrongful death case or any case, go to your client's home. You'll get ideas. You will bond with your client and you will gain your client's trust. Got to spend time with your client. It's not a leg off case. It's a human being who's lost their leg and there's a big difference. You hear people say, oh, I got a bad baby case. It's not a bad baby. It's a brain damaged infant that the parents have to take care of this child for a long time. So it's important to go to their home, hang out, see what they like to do, see what they don't like to do, see what they can do, see what they can't do, see what they can still do, but not as well. And you get ideas looking at pictures, looking at scrapbooks, picking up trophies. You have to get focused and sometimes sitting down with your client and looking at them, seeing whether there's 
extra banisters, extra ramps, walking devices above and below the first and the second floor. You're not going to really find out about it unless you're over there. Make dinner with for your clients at their home. It's a great way to spend time with them, get to know them, because never forget that you're representing human beings. I agree with everything you say. And another way to look at it is how in the world can you do a good job explaining what this injury has done to someone, how it's affected them if you don't know who they are? I had a client who was paralyzed. He had eight kids and he was the early riser in the family. He got up at five o'clock, fixed breakfast, got the kids off to school. He's a quadriplegic after the accident. And I spent time at their home and just sitting there watching his children take the cath out and get them out of the bed and help bathe them and things. It was just a real eye opener. It was very compelling because here's a guy who the injury didn't just cause the physical impairment, but he was the one who was the provider. And now he has to have the, his children who he, he should be caring for doing the same things for him. You got to spend time with the client. It also makes you feel grateful for what you've got. Yes. Yep. You mentioned bonding with your client and that's critical at certain moments of the litigation where you face a fork in the road and now you have someone who trusts you because you've taken an interest in who they are. It's not hard work to like your client. It can be tough with brain injured clients because they can be emotionally labile. I mean, I've got three brain injury cases right now where my clients' injuries are all very different from each other. And there is a lot of hand-holding going on. I mean, I'm talking to these people several times a week and I'm going through anger fits, emotional breakdowns, a lot of stuff. But, you know, they need someone and that's just the way it is. Number 24, keep amending your interrogatory answers after you constantly review them to make sure the file is current and up to date. Clients who are involved in incidents where they're badly hurt can sometimes have up to 20 or more healthcare providers and they're always going and you have to keep getting the medical records and you have to keep sending out amendments because if you don't do that, it's pretty good impeachable material at trial. So you have to be in constant communication with your clients and we do it monthly. You know, how you doing, where have you been, what's different? And that way we can just keep track of things. On more than a few cases, I've sent emails to my opponent reminding them of the rule to update their answers in anticipation of things popping out in the middle of trial they should have updated. Number 25, if you get shut down and looking for something you need, come after it from another direction. Well, that's an old video that Don Keenan used when uh, he started teaching the reptile. He had a video of a woodpecker trying to get a snake and the snake was in a knot hole in a tree and the woodpecker went at it straight, couldn't get it, went at it from above, couldn't get it, went at it from below, couldn't get it, then finally came in from the side and he grabbed it. And it's on YouTube. It's called Woodpecker and Snake. And it's just like, you just have to keep looking at it different ways. 26, it's okay to trust opposing counsel until you catch them lying. Then never trust them again. Everyone starts out with me getting the benefit of the doubt. Once they say they're going to do something, they don't do it. And it can be as little as returning a phone call or getting back to you when they say they're going to get back to you. Once 
that happens, it's over. They don't get any more breaks from me. I make discovery a special category where I figure they're always trying, you know, everyone's trying to do their best to win their case. And I'm assuming that on the other side of the aisle, they're trying their best not to give me information. I think a lot of the time the client of the defendant is holding stuff back and the lawyer is not pushing the defendant hard enough to get the information. I don't think a lot of these people intentionally suppress things. There's some of them do, but I think a lot of times it's the client. It's the client yeah. is hiding stuff. You show up for corporate designations. Where did you look? Nowhere. What yeah. did you do? Nothing. Well, I've had a couple instances where we filed a motion to compel and the court granted it. And this happened more than once. And all of a sudden there's new counsel, you know, new attorneys come in and they don't have it. You know, the other attorney's gone was in a product liability case where it was a St. Louis firm that was in it. We argued the motion, the court ordered to compel whatever was testing information or whatever we were asking for. The judge gave him so many days to produce it and new counsel comes in from out of town and all of a sudden it doesn't exist, it never existed and we didn't get it. So, I mean, you can kind of see what's going on there. I mean, I just had a case with St. Charles County on a drowning and the court compelled them to produce the number of road flooded signs and barricades they had. And they gave me back an unbelievably nice Google spreadsheet or whatever yeah. it is that had the number of stop signs, left turn signs. When it got down to road flooded signs, they didn't know how many they had. When it got down <laughs> to barricades, they didn't know how many they had. So, you know, I don't think that's the lawyer's fault. Yeah. I didn't mean to be too harsh on opposing counsel, but I think a lot of these objections, I read them as I'd rather not give you the information. And it's gotten so bad that a couple of years ago, I, I sent out a set of interrogatories and it was a small defense firm and I got back real answers and almost no objections. And it was stunning. And it reminded me how often this doesn't happen. I had one on Friday where my client is working for Charter Communications. She goes to someone's house. She walks up the steps, gets on the deck, and just falls right through the deck. So I sued the owner of the property. I sued the management company late. And the lawyer files a motion to dismiss. And I called him up and said, you got to have some stuff. He says, well, send me what you have, and I'll send you what I have. And I sent him pictures and everything. And I called him, where's my stuff? He says, I haven't looked. <laughs> I'm not going to trust him yeah. at all. Yeah. Number 27, an x-ray of a broken leg tells the story better than the medical record that says the leg is broken. Plain film x-rays are usually taken from three different angles. And you really want the one that shows the bone broken apart like a stick or shattered. And it is very chilling to look at it and just say to yourself when you see that, boy, am I glad that's not me. And that's how you want to get the jury involved in showing what happened to your client. A lot of these people don't know anything about the medicine. And when they see what the x-ray looks like, they go, holy shit, this person's really hurt. We better pay him some money. Number 28, there's a lot of good books out there. Read them. There's so many good books. Trial Guides is my go-to source. 
there's so much good stuff out there. And you got Friedman, you got Malone, you got Keenan, you got Rowley. There's a guy named Neff who's written some great stuff on premises cases. Keith Mitnick has written some great stuff. Mike Morgan from Morgan and Morgan wrote a good book called You Can't Teach Hungry. There's just a lot of good books and everything you read can make you a better lawyer and make you a better craftsman at your craft. Number 29, up to date is the best place to learn about medical issues. It's fantastic. I mean, you can put in any phrase in there and it will give you learned articles with hundreds of footnotes. They're constantly amended, current. It's the best. What would that be, uptodate.com? Uptodate.com. Is that a paid service? It's a paid service. But well worth it. It's so worth it. I used to go, you know, you'd go on an orthopedic case, you'd look at Campbell's on orthopedics, or you'd get on Medline, and you're looking for something on spondylolisthesis or whatever it is. And then you'd have to go to the medical library and start pulling out the books and copying the articles. Up to date has it all. And it gives you all the articles. And most of the articles you can either buy right online or they're free. It's fabulous. Number 30, be creative in your research. Different databases will give you different articles. Yeah. I mean, if you put a search into Bing, and you put a search into Google, you're gonna get completely different information. I was looking at one doctor and Bing had like nothing on him and Google had his disciplinary licensure information from Alabama. It's very helpful. I've found that on occasion, going to Google for research, if you're researching a, a legal issue and you know nothing about it yet, it's the better way to go than going to Westlaw or, or Lexis. Actually, this conversation reminds me, Google has terms and connectors you can use too to narrow the search. I haven't used those for a while. I was using those commonly, but you can actually fine tune those searches and it's, it's so powerful. Number 31, don't forget to use list servers. We're all members of the biggest law firms in the world. You use the MATA listserv, MATA plaintiffs only, AAJ, various listservs for traumatic brain injury or products liability or medical information or medical negligence. And I'm sure DRI has their listservs also, where it's, you know, how to figure out how not to pay the plaintiff any money. I'm sure those questions are asked all the time. <laughs> 32, the longer you go without trying a case, the harder it will be to go back into the courtroom. And I'm sure since COVID, we all feel that way because most of us have not tried a case now in close to 18 months. Yeah, year and a half. How many of us are really dying to go back? I mean, I think I'm at the point where I wanna try some cases, but I know plenty of lawyers who have great reputations, who in the 42 years I've been out of school, I've never heard of them trying anything. And we all know who they are, and surprisingly, the insurance companies still pay them. I'm not sure why. I think it's good for everybody to keep trying cases because even if you try them and lose, the sun's going to come up the next day and you're going to get paid on the next 10 because you had the guts to go try the case that you lost. Very true. What advice would you give a young attorney right now who needs trial experience? Go try some cases. What if you don't have cases? readily in front of you. I've heard people say, go to uh, legal services or go volunteer, go 
pair up with other attorneys? What I did was when I got out of school, a lot of my dad's colleagues were pretty old because my dad was 50 when I was born. So when I got my law degree, he was already 75. But I just started calling, said, send me what you don't want. I'll work hard. I'll do a good job. And it worked out. And the couple guys just started sending me all their stuff. And it was great. I mean, I found one guy who had a wall full of cases that hadn't been looked at for years. And it was a great opportunity. He said, go make me money. I think you need to go out of your way to look for cases to try. You'll find them. And you just need to be creative about it. I do that with the lawyers here, the young lawyers. When cases come in, there's certain cases we mark for trial. That's pretty much what we do is get it ready and, and try to push it out to trial. The one thing I have noticed with this generation is everybody wants to start off in the boardroom and no one wants to start off in the mailroom. An example I'm going to give you just happened in the last month. A lawyer referred me a case who was in Alaska and I called the guy up and he's in a terrible neighborhood in East St. Louis. He was going from Arkansas to Minnesota. Something happened in St. Charles, his car hydroplaned, he hit a guardrail, punctured a lung, broke a rib. And the police report comes in and it says the guy said he hydroplaned. So I went over to East St. Louis, I looked at the car and there were scrapes on the car. And I had a theory that someone must have touched his car and sent him out of control. Well, someone in my office who will remain unnamed said, that's a terrible case, don't take it. Well, I got it settled for policy limits two days ago, just for showing up and having a theory and preparing the client for his examination under oath and getting it done. Every case that I try, that I'm gonna preparing to try, I make it a point, I read and summarize every deposition in that case. I look at every record, every document. Like you said, I put my hands on it. And I know attorneys who try a lot of cases who don't do that. They'll have somebody else summarize them. I haven't been able to do that. There's something about me and preparing. It just doesn't sink in maybe. I look at everything myself. I spend a tremendous amount of time preparing for a trial. I'll try to do a summary right after the deposition. I hate reading transcripts. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I'm reading uh, a couple this morning, but I'm glad I did because there's stuff in there I forgot. When I summarize the depot, it's not just summarizing the stuff that they said. That process triggers things, issues, what you can argue, how to undermine defenses. It gives me ideas about how to present the case. It triggers my thought process when I'm reading those depositions and summarizing. One thing I'll do right after a depot is I'll immediately get some new discovery requests out. Because when stuff comes out, you think, well, I'll do that later. Do it now. Right, right. If you do yeah. it now, it'll get done. If you'd say, I'm going to do it later, something else is going to take place. John, there was a recent study, maybe in the last few years, where they compared the students who are now bringing computers into their classroom and just trying to take down what the words are that are being spoken compared to those who handwrite which forces you to synthesize and right. compress it. Yeah. And they found that the handwriting version will cause much more retention because you're being forced to put it in your own words on your paper. You can't keep up with your handwriting like right. you can with, right. with typing. 
The other thing, like you said, after you spend a day and a half or two days preparing for the deposition, three, four hours taking it, you're never going to know more about what you're going to do or how you're going to handle that witness than right after that deposition is completed. I've even done outlines, cross-examination outlines of witnesses after the depo, you know, after I take their deposition. Well, a lot of times the questions you write out for the deposition are the same questions you're going to use in trial. So it's already done. Yes. Yeah. Number 33, learn how to do a focus group properly or hire someone to run a focus group for you. Focus groups are great because they will tell you how to word things. They'll tell you what's wrong with your case. How do you handle focus groups or getting any sort of feedback on a small or medium case? I've done some stuff on Facebook. I've done some stuff just on my website. There are some companies that will do monkey surveys for you where you can just ask the questions. When I was younger and I was coaching all my kids' teams, I was using all the parents, go across the street to the mall, say, hey, can I buy you lunch and ask you some questions, get on an airplane, get the middle seat, offer to buy the people next to you a drink <laughs> and show them what you have on your computer and ask them what they think. I'll be sitting with someone on a plane and say, here's a picture. Tell me what happened. Tell me a story about this. And I do a lot like that. 34, make a list of the 20 ways you will lose your case. So there's a jury psychologist in Napa Valley. His name is Rodney Jew, who is very expensive and he's very good. And he claims that he taught David Ball everything he knows. And I did three cases with Rodney. And one of the first things Rodney has you do is make a list of what he calls landmines. You know, maybe it's because your client is fat. Maybe it's because you have a bad judge. Maybe it's because your client is a smoker. I mean, there's many different reasons and not many of them are logical as to why you're going to lose the case. Maybe it's your client's fault. And if you realize that right off the bat, maybe it's a case you don't want to take. But if you can't solve all of those landmines, that one landmine you couldn't solve is going to be the reason you lose your case. So those are the things you need to focus. Because, you know, you go tell a focus group all the great things about your case. Everybody's going to say, oh, you got the greatest case in the world. Well, any case can be lost. I don't care how good it is. And every case has warts that you're going to have to deal with. Your comments remind me of Daniel Kahneman's concept of the pre-mortem. And the idea is that before you go into the whatever it is, in our case, a trial, you tell your group to assume that you lost. We just lost the case. Why did we lose the case? It's an attempt to get you out of groupthink. You know, the rah-rah, you know, confirmation bias where you all want to believe everything's going to go right. The intellectual move is to assume you already lost and then to ask why this happened. It's a good exercise. 35, make sure you make time for family, recreation, vacations, rest, and exercise. Got to be a well-rounded person to be a well-rounded lawyer. People work too hard, they drop dead at their desks. I have always found time for amusement, even in the middle of trial. I just have. I eat well, I drink well, I work out a lot, play a lot of sports. Never missed a kid's baseball game soccer game, lacrosse game, just 
thought that was more important. Lots of lawyers I know become alcoholics. They get divorced. They go through wives like I go through ice cubes on a hot day. It's not good. If you have a lot of baggage, it just gets in the way of everything. I like to have a lot of routines. I do a lot of the same things every day. And it just helps me wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, stay sleeping most nights, and have relationships with friends and family. You need to move that one up to the top of the list, I think. I want you to assume you've got a good friend who's caught in that trap. And they're just thinking, I don't have enough time to get the work done. And they spend all their time at work and they fret and they're stressed and they don't do any of those other things. How would you advise that they take their first steps to get out of that? Well, I would say to them, everybody's got the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in the day. And there's a great book called Atomic Habits that I would recommend that they read and it can help you break habits and it can help you make new habits. For example, let's say you want to start exercising and you hate exercise. Start with five minutes a day. Add a minute each couple of days. Before you know it, you're up to 30 minutes. Some people can't handle lots of things. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't do it. If it's going to be destructive in your life, cut it out. Figure out a strategy to get away from it. You have to sit down. you got to dedicate the amount of time. Okay, I'm going to take a doctor's deposition tomorrow. I'm going to spend three days getting ready for it. Well, go somewhere. Sit down and do what you need to do. Read the record. But you don't have to work all the time. Anybody who does that, there's something wrong. They're not doing it right. The one thing about sports is and a lot of people aren't athletic and you can get into art or something else. But what we do in law is competition. And if you're in a swimming race and you finish second and you get a ribbon, that's great. You don't get a ribbon if you finish second in a trial. So you really have to learn how to compete. And after I got my law degree, I started playing some sports on a national level where I was doing a lot of competitions. My wife was in dental school. She wanted nothing to do with me because she was studying all the time. So I was traveling the cities, playing tournaments and learning how to win. What'd you play? Played squash. You know, it's a game with long rackets. And mm -hmm. It's really a pretty hard, I'm still playing. I mean, I, I got a competition against Atlanta this weekend. But once you learn how to win, in a sport, it's much easier to learn how to win in law. You have to do what is necessary to win. You gotta put in the prep time. You gotta get into mental shape. You gotta do everything you need to do to win. This dovetails with number 36. If you're not having fun at this, there's other professions out there that may be more suited for you. Do you know any people that have left the profession of law and found happiness elsewhere? Yeah. They become general counsel <laughs> and they get stock options. We all know people who call themselves recovering lawyers. Maybe they get into the restaurant business or they open up a bar, or they do something. 37, shortcuts never work out. They don't. Tell us how you would distinguish between a shortcut 
and efficiencies? A shortcut would be reading Gilbert's outline to take a law exam. The long cut would be going to class and reading the cases. A shortcut would mean maybe reading the abstract of a medical article rather than reading the whole article. A shortcut would be getting on a listserv and say, hey, I need some dog bite interrogatories. Can you send me some? I mean, unless you craft your own request to produce written discovery, you're not going to learn what the case is about. Something I've done on a couple of cases in recent times is I've made it a point to, when the case comes in, to reach out to the opposing counsel and just go visit before the case ever starts, if it's somebody I don't know at all. And I've found it to be a really good way to get going, to get off on a better track. It seems like people will put all kinds of things in writing. You know, this is the problem with social media. If you don't have a real relationship, strange things go on. But when you start off with a real relationship, it's harder to bullshit each other. It's a great idea. 38, treat people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule. That's it. You want to be lied to, lie to people. If you want to be cheated, cheat people. And you know, that usually works out that way. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. You and I both have been practicing for a long time here in St. Louis. And overwhelmingly, the lawyers out there are good, decent, professional. To me, it's literally a handful of lawyers, and you and I know who they are. And it's like you said before, it happens once, it happens twice, and then you know that you can't really trust them. I see that in the beginning of a case. First question I'll ask is, you know, who's on the other side? Proceed accordingly, depending on who it is. Right. Here, we see the same people over, over and over again. That's absolutely right. The same judges, same attorneys. It's our reputations. It's all we have. 39. Keep going to practice seminars and never stop learning. Does that include podcasts, listening to podcasts? Absolutely. All right. So we're at number 40. Always keep your word. It's all you got. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Even if it's inconvenient, just do it. Just like Nike says, there's nothing worse than saying he doesn't keep his word. Even if you say you're going to do something and something better comes along, you still keep your word. There's two versions of that. Keep your word to others and then also keep your word to yourself when you tell yourself you're going to do something. It's easy to move those goalposts sometimes, shift it around and go, well, what I meant by that when I promised. You know... I always don't keep my word to myself, and it's usually when there's a box of Cheez-Its in the house. That's my, Say, that's my well, problem. I'm going to have one handful. <laughs> then all of a sudden, well, we're down to the end, so I may as well just yeah. finish the box. Yeah, I think Cheez-Its are on top of my list snack-wise, too. You know, there's no nutritional value in Cheez-Its. I found that oh, out. Is that right? I looked it up. None at all? None. None. Zero. <laughs> Salt and carbs. Alvin, this has been fun. It's been great having you on. Truly. Hey, thanks for having me. It was really fun. All right. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. We'll see you next time. This is Eric Beeth. This is John Simon. Thanks for joining us. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law and tune into other podcasts in the Simon Law Firm library including Heels in the Courtroom and Results Don't Lie. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.